0: Uh, we did forget one announcement, or I did forget one announcement. We have the Lord's Table next Sunday in the morning service. And Darren and Ray are set up and I believe it's Alan and Scott assisting next Sunday in the Lord's Table. So keep that in mind during the morning service next Sunday we will celebrate the Lord's Table. Isaiah chapter 6, please. Isaiah chapter 6. And let's look to the Lord in prayer. Precious Father, we thank you today that we can come together to study your word. We thank you that you've given to us this precious book. We thank you, Father God, that we can trust it. Father God, we know that its truth is absolute. And Lord, because we have a God who is the same yesterday, today and forever, your word remains the same. So Father, the truths of old are the truths of new pray that, Lord, today as we open up your word, that you would speak to us through it. You would challenge us by it. We pray that, Father God, that you'd use it to minister our hearts' needs. Pray, Father, as always, that you'd allow me as your servant to be used of you. Lord, you'd give me that clarity of thought, that simplicity of speech, that, Lord God, today you your word might go forth in power to your glory. We ask now that you bless our time in your word. Guide our time, Father God, in this place, this day. And uh, just use us to your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we're living today in a country that has become irreverent or ungodly. Sight in general has no respect for God for the most part, mankind has rebelled against God. Today, many scholars refer to the era in which we live as the post-Christian era. We're no longer identified as Christians in name. The sad circumstance has developed because we as a society have forgotten the awesomeness of our God. You know, there is no doubt that God is majestic, God is almighty, and according to Isaiah, God, is holy. But for the most part, we've lost sight of that fact. You know, when we take a photograph of someone, we don't want to see their hands and their feet, although sometimes when we take a photo, we get pictures of hands and feet rather than the face. But when we take pictures, we want to see a person's face. And so it is with our vision of God. He desires us not to see his hands or his fingers, which note his power and his skill, nor even his throne, which indicates his majesty. The way in which he wants you and I to remember him is to remember him by his holiness, which is the attribute that most glorifies him. Psalm 111 and verse 9 says, Holiness is his name. Now in the word of God, we don't find phrases such as his mighty name, His wise name, His loving name. But we do find Scripture quite often reminds us of His holy name. And today as we come to the next in our series on the character of God, we come to the attribute of God's holiness. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verses 1 through 8 here, Isaiah found himself in the throne room of God. And here he comes face to face with God and face to face with the holiness of God and it changes his life forever. Now we're going to consider this passage over two weeks. This week and then in two two weeks time when I'm back on Sunday morning we're going to consider this passage Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 through 8. We're going to have a look today at the vision that Isaiah saw, the vision of God, the vision of God's holiness that Isaiah saw. And then next time we will look at the response to the vision the vision of God in verses 1 through 3 and the response to the vision in verses 4 through 8 but this morning let's consider the vision of God in Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 through 3 in the year that King Uzziah died I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple above it stood the seraphim; each one had six wings with 20 covered his face with 20 covered his feet and with 20 did fly and one cried one unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. As Isaiah enters into the throne of God, Isaiah looks and he sees and he hears the angels singing. And they're crying one to another, Holy, holy, holy the Lord is the Lord of hosts. There in verse 3, they declare the holiness of God. Someone has said that just as all the colours of the spectrum come together to form the pure white light which illuminates our world, so all the attributes of God come together into his holiness. Of all the things that you and I know about God, of all the attributes that we know about God, one of the ones that's hard for you and I to get a handle on. One of, us, one of those attributes that I have for you and I to focus on, perhaps even one of the most difficult, is that of His holiness. Because holiness is one of those uncomfortable attributes. Holiness, God's holiness, reminds us of how unlike God we are. As we uphold the holiness of God, as we start to look at His character, as we start to see how holy God is, we start to see ourselves for what we are, which is sinners before a holy God. We see ourselves as unrighteous. We see ourselves as ungodly. We see ourselves for who we really are. So when God is exalted, when the holiness of God is highlighted, we see who we are. And that makes it very difficult for us makes it uncomfortable for us because we find that we are sinners who have fallen short of the glory of god so firstly then this morning what do we mean when we say god is holy what do we mean by god is holy i mean the angels said it here in isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3 they said holy 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 is the Lord of hosts. What does it mean that God is holy? Well, what we mean by that is that God is absolute purity. God is unsullied or spoiled by even the shadow of sin. There is no unrighteousness in God, there is no impurity in God, there is no sin in God. He is absolute. Purity, he is holy. One commentator said the holiness of God is his intrinsic and transcendent purity, the standard of righteousness. When we talk about God's holiness, we're speaking about the standard of righteousness, that he is pure, he is right. There is no spots in God and blemishes in God. And the truth is that God's holiness unlocks for you and I the door of our understanding. And it helps you and I make sense of everything else that we know about Him. Why is God everything else that God is? We've been looking at God's attributes, but why is God omniscient? Why is He omnipotent? What lies behind all these things? His eternality, etc. Well, holiness is the, is the attribute that underlies all of those truths. One commentator said this, the S attribute infiltrates all other attributes. God's holiness is the glory of all of his attributes. His justice is holy justice. His wisdom is holy wisdom. His power is holy power. His truth is holy truth. His goodness is holy goodness. God is glorious in his holiness see everything God does and everything God is emanates from the fact that God is a holy God that there is no impurity in him that he is absolute righteousness and everything therefore that God is and everything God says and everything God does emanates from that very truth that God is holy Therefore, if we want to know God, if we really want to understand this God who loves us, if we really want to understand this God who created us, if we really want to understand this God who sent his son to die for us, that we might have eternal life, then we must understand God's holiness. Now, there are two elements to God's holiness. The first is the idea of greatness. You know, one of the meanings of holiness is the idea of being set apart. When we speak of God being holy, we mean that God is set apart from everything else. God is totally above and totally beyond everything else. He's above and beyond us. When we speak of God being holy, we mean that God is in a class of His own. There is God, and then there's everything else. The commentator said this there is a profound difference between Him. those he created he is great grand majestic he is awesome go with me to psalm 147 please psalm 147 psalm 147 and verse 5 says this great is the lord and of great power his understanding is infinite thinking back to Psalm 48. Psalm 48 and verse 1. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God in the mountain of his holiness. You know, God is great. God is holy. God's word reveals to us that God does not conform to any standard created by others our God is unique he stands alone he is the only infinitely holy being that exists and therefore he's the standard of righteousness by which we are judged isn't that what Romans says for all of sin to come short of what the glory of God the glory of God is God's holiness You and I fall short of the holiness of God. We stand before a holy God and we are seen as sinners before Him in His holiness. No matter how righteous we may be, God's Word tells us all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So, as we stand in the presence of a holy God, we see ourselves for what we are sinners condemned before a holy God sinners lost and dying on our way to hell who need a saviour because God is holy he's the standard by which we're judged of all the things that God is at the centre of his being is his holiness yet how casual or how cavalier we are about the, this holy God You know, our casualness demonstrates how little we know of what and who he really is. We really don't acknowledge his greatness. We don't acknowledge his awesomeness. We don't acknowledge his holiness like we should. For if we did, it would change the way that we are. The second aspect of holiness is the idea of purity. God is good. He does what is right. He never does that which is wrong. You know, with God, there is no shadow of a turning. He is absolute. He's the absolute standard. We live in a world where absolutes are disappearing quickly, but there is one absolute, and that is God and His word. God never changes. He is holy. He was holy, is holy, and will always be holy. He's the absolute standard of righteousness. He is a good God. And God is good. He does what is right and he never does that which is wrong. God is unstained by and uncompromised with sin. You know, God does not bend a little when it comes to wrongdoing. It's a wonderful truth. You know, this holy God that you and I worship is the same. He never changes. He's always holy. And therefore, everything that God does is always the same. God responds to sin and wickedness. God responds to mankind the same way He has always responded because God never changes. He is good. He is pure. God always acts in a righteous manner because his nature is holiness God cannot do anything but do right God cannot do anything but that which is pure God cannot do anything but that which is righteous God cannot do anything but that which is good because he is holy he's both a great God and a good God to put it simply he is awesome He is pure. He is holy. No wonder the angels sang, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Because this is our God. He is a holy God. Now the best way for you and I to understand holiness is to secondly look at a case study in holiness. Holiness. And Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, is a case study in holiness. If you and I really want to understand the effect that holiness, the holiness of God, the effect that our holy God ought to have upon us, Isaiah chapter 6, and verses 1 through 8, is that case study. Now the context of Isaiah chapter 6 is that Israel had just passed through a, success, a successive evil and despicable king's. And sandwiched right in the middle of all those evil and despicable kings was a king by the name of Uzziah. Among these wicked kings was a good and godly king. Uzziah reigned for 52 years in Israel. And we know from Scripture that Uzziah worshipped God. And he led Israel into godly living but he had one floor. Uzziah was prideful. and As he comes towards the end of his reign, he thought he would top off his reign by burning some incense to God himself, which, of course, was the job or the domain of the priest alone. Go back with me to 2 Chronicles, please. 2 Chronicles 26. And verse 16, talking about King Uzziah says this, but when he, that's Uzziah, was strong his heart was lifted up to his destruction for he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. And so Uzziah filled with pride as his kingdom is strong it says but when he was strong when his kingdom was strong when he was at the top of his game he decides that he's going to now fulfill the role of the priest and he goes to the temple and offers up uh, incense to God himself now the priest demanded that he leave but the king refused look in verse 17 and Azariah the priest went in after him and with him fourscore priests of the Lord that were valiant men and they withstood Josiah the king and said unto him it is a appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense of in the Lord, but of the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense, go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed. Neither shall it be for thine honour from the Lord God. When Uzziah hears this, what we read is that Uzziah, with the centre in his hand for burning incense, was enraged. Look in Verse 19. King Uzziah was wroth and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priest, the leprosy even arose up in his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord from his side the incense altar. King Uzziah becomes a leper because of his pride. But nevertheless, overall, for the 52 years that Uzziah reigns in Israel, he is a good king. And eventually king Uzziah who was a leper died as all men must die and that's where we pick up the story in Isaiah chapter 6 says in the year that king Uzziah died we find that when Isaiah went up to the temple to mourn Uzziah's death in the context of an empty throne in Israel The first thing Isaiah saw was the Lord's majesty. Look at verse 1 again. It says, In the year the king Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. The word Lord here in verse 1, I also saw the Lord, is the Hebrew word Adonai. And it's a reference to his absolute sovereignty. He is the king of kings. As Isaiah mourns the death of King Uzziah, this godly king, which had become the friend of Isaiah, as he mourns the death of the king, he enters into the throne, into the temple to worship and to pray. And he then enters into the very throne of God. And what he sees is the Lord of glory. He sees this absolute sovereign, this king of kings. You know, Isaiah had lost his earthly king, he'd lost his. Friendly king, and in the process, he found the Holy One of Israel. In Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 6, he says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. The phrase high and lifted up here means that nothing is above God. When you look up and you see God in His holiness, there is nothing above God, He is the absolute. Supreme King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is holy, holy, holy. There is nothing above him. And what Isaiah is saying here in verse 1 effectively is this. In the year that we lost our human king, I saw the real king high and lifted up. You know, he may have looked to Isaiah as if everything was falling apart. For 52 years, a great king had been on the throne. Israel had been led into worship. Israel was serving their God, and as he dies, it may have looked like everything was coming to an end. Everything was falling apart, but the sovereign one, the king of kings, was holding everything together. For his kingship is influenced superior to that of Uzziah or anyone else. In the midst of this time of chaos, with the death of the king, God makes a personal appearance. As Isaiah mourns the death, the loss of King Uzziah, one commentator said, God revealed himself as the sovereign one, the one who is greater than all the kings. The king is dead. Long live the king. The king may be dead, but the king of kings still reigns. Therefore, there is no reason to panic. There is no reason to worry. There is no reason to be uh, mournful, for God is still on the throne. What a glorious truth. This great king, King Uzziah, is dead, and Isaiah is mourning the death of this great king, and you can almost imagine the emotions wondering what's going to happen next. This godly king has gone, what's going to happen next? And God says, don't worry, I'm still on the throne. There's no need to panic, there's no need to fear. I'm still on the throne. And then chapter 6 and verse 1 describes God's exalted position for us. It goes on to say, he was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. You know what it must have been like for Isaiah to see the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filling the temple? The Hebrew here literally means this. The train of God's robe literally filled every section of the temple. As Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up, as he sees the king of kings, as he sees the supreme ruler of the universe as he sees the Lord God himself in all of his holiness and he sees this vision, he sees the train of the king of kings filling the temple. One commentator explained it this way, kings of that time would wear robes with long trains because they were difficult to manoeuvre and work in. Wearing a long train meant I am important enough that I do not have to work. I'm a person of honour and dignity. Others must serve me and wait upon me. You know, essentially that's the same idea as a bride wearing a train when she gets married. She wears a long train which speaks of her honor and her dignity. In case you didn't know why she wears a veil and a train, it's because it speaks of her honor and her dignity. Well, that was the kings of ancient times. The bigger the train, the more the honor, the more the dignity the king got. Well, God's train fills the whole of the temple. And then in verse 2, we have described for us further God's exalted position where it says, Above it stood the seraphim; each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. This speaks of God's complete sovereignty, God's authority over all the universe. Here we see a group of angels whose sole purpose is to worship God and to attend to his holiness. These seraphim were created for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to be around the throne of God, to attend unto his every need, and to attend to his holiness. That's why they're there. The word seraph means burning ones. And the seraphim are creatures who were created to attend the heavenly court. That's their sole purpose. They covered their faces because they were in the presence of holiness. They covered their feet because that speaks of their humility. They're flying with the other two wings, which indicates their ongoing obedience to go wherever God sends them. But the most incredible thing is not their appearance. But it's their message. Because, you know, they sing the greatest hymn of the Bible. In verse 3. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. They sing holy, holy, holy. Three times to the thrice holy God. To indicate the complete holiness of God. The fullness of the holiness of God. The Trinity of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. What a song. One commentator commented this way. He says, when we want to emphasize the importance of something in English, we underline, use italics, boldface or capital letters and an exclamation point or two. But the Jewish people use repetition when they wanted to emphasize something. To say a word three times in succession is to elevate it to a superlative degree. When the angels say holy, 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 they are emphasizing the breathtaking splendor of God's holiness. You haven't got it yet. God is holy. And as these angelic beings, the seraphim, look at God upon his throne with his train filling the whole of the temple, as they fly around, they're declaring the superlative nature, the breathtaking splendor of the awesomeness, the holiness of God. You know, Jesus used this form frequently in the New Testament to get emphasis. He would say, verily, verily, or truly, truly. This was like shouting, now hear this. Or don't miss this. Now, obviously, every word of Scripture is important. But in this passage, when we read, holy, 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 holy it is saying by the repetition that this is super important this is the central focus of the this message this is the central focus of this vision as Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up it's train filling the temple the thing that's significant is not the seraphim but it's the message the seraphim have of God's holiness And only once in all of the Bible is an attribute of God. Repeated three times. The Bible never says love, that God is love, love, love. It never says that God is light, light, light. By the way, God is love, but it never says he's love, love, love. He is light, but it never says he's light, light, light. He's truth, but it never says God is truth, truth, truth. God is mercy, but it never says God is mercy, mercy, mercy. But God's word does say that God is holy, holy, holy. You see, the holiness of God in this passage is lifted to a place of primary importance. The holiness of God is the totality of all of God's attributes. As we look at our God, as we exalt Him, as we see Him, we must see Him in the beauty of His holiness. We must see his greatness, we must see his purity, we must see his holiness. He is a holy God. And his holiness is the chief attribute of God. Out of holiness, everything else emanates, everything else flows. From this attribute of God's holiness flows all the other attributes. The reason why God is righteous is because he's holy. The reason why God shows mercy is because he's holy. The reason why God shows grace is because he's holy. The reason why God does everything God does is because he is holy. Calls attention to his majesty. Calls attention to the fact that God is so great that he's above us so much greater than anything you and I can conceive. It points to the eternal difference between God and man. As I said earlier, here is God in all of His holiness. And there is us. And as we stand in His presence, we see ourselves in all of our unrighteousness. We see ourselves in all of our filthiness. We are sinners before a holy God. And the wage of that sin is death. Because God cannot overlook sin. God cannot just ignore sin. He cannot just dismiss sin. Sin stands contrary to His nature. God must deal with sin. And that's why God's Word says the wage of sin is death. Unfortunately, the verse goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord because of what Christ did on Calvary where he died for you and I. He satisfied the righteous demands of a holy God. He satisfied God's holiness when he died on Calvary. He died in your place and mine and dying in our place. He then could offer to you and I eternal life. He could offer to you and I sins forgiven. He could offer to you and I salvation in Christ. Because Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. He is the God-man. He is perfect God, perfect man. And as the perfect God and as perfect man, He could die in the place of mankind upon the cross of Calvary, which He did. And in doing so, He satisfied the righteous demands of a holy God so that God in His mercy and His grace could say to you and I, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But the reason why we need to be saved is because God is holy. The last phrase of verse 3 says, The whole earth is full of His glory. The word glory here refers to His splendor. His glory, His splendor is all around us. And His glory, His splendor reveals to us His holiness. If we're to know God the Father, if you and I are to get a glimpse of Him, then you and I must understand His holiness. Somebody said the reason Christians are so powerless today, so distant from intimate knowledge of God is because we've ignored the holiness of God. The next time we're going to consider verses 4 through eight and we're going to consider Isaiah's response to the vision of God's holiness but today as believers in particular we need before we can respond to God's holiness we need to get a vision of our holy god because holiness is the central to his character as well as to his essence you see, if someone's going to get saved, the first thing they've got to acknowledge is they're a sinner. In you know, order to acknowledge they're a sinner, they must acknowledge that God is holy. And as believers, if you and I are going to be all that God wants to be, then you and I need to have a vision of His holiness so that we might respond to that holiness in a godly way. Holiness distinguishes the divine creator from all the things. You see, God is separated, not merely from creation because of his sinlessness, but in essence, because he's different to us. He's holy. In fact, he is holy, holy, holy. God is distinct from us. As we said, In other words, there is a profound difference between him and those he created. Wholeness means that God is is transcendent. He's unique, he's superior in his greatness. Simply put, God is in a class by himself. He has no equal. And yet, you know, God calls upon you and I to be holy as he is holy. God is transcendent God is holy. God is above and beyond all of us. His nature and character is different from us. But he calls upon us to be holy as he is holy. And if we're to be holy as he is holy, what we as believers need more than ever is a vision of our holy God like Isaiah. For the truth is, as one common to put it. But generally speaking, people do not drift toward wholeness. We drift toward compromise and we call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and we call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and we call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of a loss of self-control and we call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves in the thinking we've escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. But what we really need is a vision of our holy God so that we might be holy as he is holy. Gracious Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for this vision of our holy God. We thank you, Father God, that you are holy, that you are absolute holy, and that, Lord, we should rejoice in you, and that we should exalt you in the beauty of your holiness. Lord, help us to get a vision of who you are, a vision of your holiness. So, Father God, if there's anybody here who doesn't know you as their saviour, they would see themselves before a holy God as sinners, unclean, undone, in need of a saviour. And they would cry out to you in faith, Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ so that you might save them, deliver them by faith. For those of us who are saved, Father God, help us to get a vision of your wholeness, that we might indeed be holy as thou art holy. Bless now as we close, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.